You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host Ryan Vasquez and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. There are now 187 positive cases of COVID-19 in Alachua County, according to the latest numbers from the State Department of Health. No deaths have been reported and 25 people have been hospitalized at some point as a result of the virus. Positive case numbers in the North Central Florida region include 165 in Clay County, Marion County has surpassed over 100 cases, and 72 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are more than 21,000 positive cases of the coronavirus and are reported 499 deaths. Marion County Public Schools is making parking lot Wi-Fi available starting this week to aid with distance learning during the COVID-19 pandemic. North Marion High, North Marion Middle, and Vanguard High parking lots now offer free Wi-Fi service Monday through Friday from 9 in the morning until 7 at night. Users simply drive into the parking lot, log in, and access learning materials online. Seven more schools will be brought online in the near future. The COVID-19 pandemic is changing the way we handle death. Funeral homes and cemeteries have had to adapt to new guidelines set up to help slow the spread of the virus. As WUFT's Elizabeth Byro found out, that has impacted business at some local funeral homes. With communities restricting large gatherings, funeral homes and cemeteries are having to alter how they conduct business to fit strict guidelines. Executive Director of Prairie Creek Conservation Cemetery, Freddie Johnson, spoke on how the pandemic has changed their burials. We have limitations of 10 or less folks to be at a burial, which is sometimes that can be very disappointing for folks, particularly for bigger families. At Prairie Creek, they are offering videos and photos of the burial to accommodate loved ones during this time, as well as keeping grounds open for families, but have stopped golf cart tours. President of Capstone Services Group, who oversees eight funeral homes, Richard Lee, shared how the planning for services is also being restricted. You know, when my funeral directors meet with any families, they can only meet with two people from the family. You know, a lot of times you'll have a group of 10 or 12 that want to come in to make arrangements, and we just can't do that anymore. Just, you know, being cautious. Richard Lee went on to talk about how most families are understanding of the situation, but how others are changing their plans. We've had a few that decided they'll just have a service at a later date in the future, but, you know, another thing that's happened is we've had families that maybe they wanted to have a burial and they find out they really can't have a large service with it then they decide to just do cremation instead. At Prairie Creek Conservation Cemetery as well as Capstone Services Group there is yet to be a case where they were handling the service of someone who tested positive for COVID-19. Freddie Johnson spoke on the grimmer fate for a service of someone who did have or might have had the novel coronavirus. The only difference is is we're not going to have people there at all in terms of family. And the reason is not so much the concern about the body of the person that died or might have died of COVID-19. That's of less concern. But the main concern is any folks that were exposed to that, which often would be family and friends. Funeral homes and cemeteries are taking things one day at a time, hoping not to face a scenario like Italy, where traditional funeral services have been banned. Elizabeth Byro, WUFT News. As the number of coronavirus cases in long-term care facilities climbed to over 800 to start the week, the state announced plans to begin testing more nursing home residents and staff for the disease. 
Speaking to reporters at the state capitol, Governor Ron DeSantis said the Florida National Guard will begin visiting long-term care facilities to collect specimens. Their efforts will be focused on Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties in South Florida, where about 60% of all COVID-19 cases in the state exist. DeSantis says some asymptomatic staff members are unknowingly bringing the disease into the nursing homes. They'll be taking samples from all willing individuals in each facility, both staff and residents. It's critical to identify people who test positive as early as possible, and this will help us do that. Hundreds of long-term care facility residents and staff have already been voluntarily tested in South Florida, but DeSantis hopes the additional National Guard strike teams will significantly increase that number. As the federal government begins sending out stimulus checks this week, Attorney General Ashley Moody is warning Floridians to be alert for scams. The first checks are being directly deposited into accounts of tax filers who submitted bank information to the IRS. Those who don't get their money deposited directly into their accounts will receive checks in the mail. Stay up to date about how and when you might receive your stimulus payment and be suspicious of anyone requesting personal or financial information in exchange for an expedited deposit. Moody says the IRS will not ask for personal information via email, text messages, or social media. Floridians who have been asked to limit their movements as much as possible to help prevent the spread of COVID-19 still have certain functions they need to get out and about to do. One of those is to shop for food. WUFT's Taylor Levesque spoke with University of Florida Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition Professor Keith Schneider. He explains how often you should be making trips to the grocery store and how to best protect yourself when you do. How often should people make trips to the grocery store? At this point in time, probably as um, infrequently as possible. There's limited space, so uh, you should try to get your shopping done as in one large trip as possible. The less frequently you go out, the less chances there are of you uh, contracting or coming in t- contact with somebody who may actually be infected. Now, if you were to go out, um, what is the best way to protect yourself? Well, really, again, we've got these recommendations for weeks now, basically social distancing. Uh, this, this disease is transferred from person to person. So coming in close proximity with somebody else who may be coughing or sneezing or um, hand contact uh, can transmit the disease. So again, limiting your contact with other people, uh, keeping your distance away from uh, others so you don't come in contact. And again, uh, if they're infectious, um, keeping that social distancing, that six foot radius around you, you, you should be pretty safe. Now, how effective do you think masks and gloves are? It's a really good question. We really don't know. Um, right now, masks will protect you if, again, if there are so many sneezes and Again, there are droplets floating in the air, uh, then, yeah, they'll, they'll screen those out. Uh, if, in fact, your mask is on your face and you're fiddling with it all the time, and you happen to get uh, coronavirus on your hands and you're constantly touching your face, fiddling with your mask, then no, it's going to be less effective. So for kind of a direct shield, it, it can work fine. Uh, but the evidence of how effective they are, there's really no studies out right now. We won't know probably for months if they were effective or not. If you're wearing gloves, though, you have to be careful because gloves can become contaminated just like your hands can. So, again, if you have gloves on and you're still touching your face, you still become infected. So you're under the same rules whether you're wearing gloves or, or not. When it comes to disinfecting groceries, should that be one of the priorities when shoppers do get home? You know, I am not a big fan of that at all. Uh, but it, most of the chemicals that they're using, one, are not meant for porous surfaces like cardboard boxes or paper wrappers around cans. So how effective they are is 
in question. They're not meant for those types of surfaces. Uh, and if you read the label, they're not to be ingested. So those chemicals are not for food contact surfaces. So uh, purposely applying them to your food seems a little bit dangerous, uh, especially if you're using something harsh that, again, for some reason makes its way through the package and you end up ingesting, you may end up getting uh, some gastrointestinal distress, uh, diarrhea or vomiting that sends you to the emergency room, which is one place you don't want to be right now. So if you want to wash your tops of your cans off, um, soap and water would be great. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of any of these chemicals or disinfectants that are not approved for food uh, being used to kind of wipe down your groceries. Technically, if you, if you want to be safer, uh, if you feel you're at risk, uh, one, don't leave your food out in the garage, especially in Florida heat. If you want to segregate it in your home for you know, one to three days, uh, which is what appears to be the survival for the um, virus on these types of surfaces, uh, segregating it from your food, um, that would work if you want to be uh, very cautious. Again, just want to emphasize there's, there hasn't been a single case um, we have heard of yet of transmission from an inanimate surface to an individual. Uh, right now, it's only individual to individual. Is there a difference with dealing with produce? Yeah, uh, again, uh, if you want to wash your produce off, just washing it with water will do a good enough job. Uh, soaking it in dishwashing soap or dishwashing liquid, uh, those produce items may actually suck up some of those chemicals. And again, if you ingest them, they're not meant to be ingested. Um, you can get yourself sick and again, you're off to that hospital you don't want to end up in. There, there was the issue of money or credit cards. And again, there's still no evidence that there's any um, transfer from inanimate objects to an individual. Uh, but again, if, since we don't know for sure, uh, again, anytime you handle cash, if you're going through a drive-through, uh, have some gel sanitizer there. Don't start eating in the car. Uh, sanitize your hands. Uh, and that way, the bag that they, the, the person from the store or restaurant have, have given you, again, you can make sure that your hands are clean and there isn't some accidental transfer. So really, hand washing is the major thing. Uh, anytime you're going or in contact with other people, whether it be handing them cash or credit card uh, or just picking up a bag in a drive-thru. What is your advice to the public? Uh, my advice to the public, um, one, don't panic. This is one of the things where, again, this one is very serious. Uh, the things we need to do to protect ourselves are not that hard. Um, we should have been washing our hands all along. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think it took a pandemic to convince people that washing hands is important. Keep your social distance for now. I mean, it's one of those things where we're all getting a little bit cabin feverish, uh, but it, it will eventually come to pass as, as long as we give it, a, give it the opportunity. Um, if we're going to go out, uh, limit those trips, limit the number of individuals you come in contact with. Um, and for me, the biggest thing is not to use chemical products on your food that are not meant for ingestion. Again, that's, that to me is one of the biggest misinformation I see on the internet. Um, again, just look at the bottles or the whatever container. Uh, they have poison control numbers on them for a reason. What other research are you all conducting at the University of Florida, if any? Again, on COVID, I don't do a whole lot. There are other folks who work on viruses. Right now, most of the research that you're seeing is uh, retrospective. They're going back and looking at um, viruses of similar types, like SARS, and the outbreaks occurred in the early 2000s. So a lot of the papers that we're seeing show research on similar viruses, not on COVID directly.
as the months go on, we're going to see more research that is directly using this particular pathogen. And right now, we're dealing with a lot of unknowns, which is why we get from these blanket recommendations. Uh, but what we don't want to do is scare people so that they start using harsh chemicals. And again, rather than keeping them safe, they end up making themselves sick. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contribution to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please send an email to news at wuft.org. That's news at wuft.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.